Hello and welcome to Inside Nova Quark, episode 2, the podcast about all things dual universe and the people who craft it. I'm Nomad, committee manager and your host today. First, we wanted to start this new episode by thanking you all for your great feedback about this show. Honestly, we were not sure of what you would think and your response has been very kind and encouraging. So, we decided to pursue the experiment on a regular basis. I also want to add, because it's a demand that is largely present in the community, that yes, the video dev diaries are coming back. And they are coming back soon. It takes time to make for an indie studio like us, so a little more patience. We think that with what we do on a daily basis, the dev diaries and this podcast, we have a complementary way to inform you about our progresses on the game's development. We hope you're as excited as we are. This being said, on this show today, we will review the R0.15 update launch of the game and we will give you a sneak peek of the future Alpha 2 content. Around the table are JC, CEO and founder of NovaQuark and creative director of Dual Universe, as well as Drifter and Entropy, respectively producer and game designer at our Paris studio. We'll also talk about the hiring progress of our Montreal studio with its uh, general manager, Stéphane Dastou. And to conclude, we'll answer some questions of the community following up the first podcast episode 2. You got it. Today, we have a lot to cover, so enough with introduction. Sit tight and buckle up for immediate takeoff. Hi guys, I'm very happy to record this second episode today. Jesse, you're back. Hi. Hi. Totally jet-lagged. A little bit jet lag, yes, Paris, Montreal. Uh, yeah, that's that's something I do often now. You're back too. Hello, Entropy. Hey, guys, what's going on? And a new voice at the table today. Hello, Drifter. Hey, guys, nice to meet you. We're going to start the conversation with a short review of the R0.15 update. Many deep changes were performed and it's a bit, a bit bumpy, let's be honest. Uh, the good news is that thanks to the various public tests we performed with the alpha backers, we were able to identify a lot of issues. Many have been fixed or will soon be fixed, so no worries. Um, to kind of celebrate this update uh, and accompany it, we released uh, a puzzle building contest on May 23rd. Uh, the interactive elements uh, allowing to uh, build traps, contraptions, even escape games in Salt Universe have been there for a while, but we wanted to try something new with the community and to cast some light on them. The contest should be finished when this episode will be released, and of course, we can't wait to see the submissions. Uh, JC, maybe a word about the possibilities that are offered and the potential here. Yeah, the, the potential is is uh, is it's quite incredible, I think, because uh, there's virtually no limit to what you can do by assembling the building blocks that uh, we call interactive elements. Um, I've made a, a few, uh, a small video that, that is illustrating a few of the, the, the assembly you can make. Uh, so it's basically you get all the components that you you would need to build a computer. So it's, it's capable to express any complex um, interactions between detectors, door, pressure plates, lasers, uh, logical gates, and so on. So this, this is potentially going to be uh, uh, you know, producing very interesting puzzles, and we want to, perhaps if this is a success, we want to go further, adding more elements so that you, know, you guys can do more and more elaborate puzzles. You know, references in these uh, uh, games I really loved, and I think all of you guys know, is a Portal, for example, in co-op mode. It's really cool. Um, a game I liked also is Talos Principle. Uh, so we take inspiration from that, and ideally it would be great if you guys could be building puzzles of that kind in the game. So we're going to see what, what comes out of it. 
Yep, absolutely. Um, now moving on to the, uh, the the big part of the show that uh, you know was introduced uh, earlier, the Alpha 2 Glimpse. Uh, to be clear, the the future R0.16 version is packed with uh, several big features and deep visible and invisible modifications, improving Dual Universe and preparing its future. Um, I will start with a, a very visible one, uh, the water improvements. Uh, we stopped using our old system uh, we had in the past. Let's be honest, it was uh, kind of uh, dated and not very good looking. We were not very satisfied with it. Uh, it has been drastically improved. We now have real waves with a dynamic tessellation. It behaves more naturally when you're looking at the surface and it looks uh, good when you go underwater. Uh, you know, have light and image deformations. It's good looking, much more uh, realistic. Um, JC, you wanted to add something maybe about that? Uh, yeah, the, the, the job is not finished. Obviously, you will see that, uh, for example, the, the height of the waves does not, does not depend on the depth of water. So they are also the orientation of the waves should depend on the orientation of the coast. I mean, there's a lot of things we, we still have to polish uh, to make this really work. Um, we have, of course, to think about uh, the gameplay on the water, and this is a big, big topic that uh, we may actually not address uh, by, by the time of the beta. Uh, but anyway, though, this is going in the right direction to make this more realistic and, and you know, have beautiful water in the game. Yeah, the, the water has been made by uh, our colleague Rudomas, the same developer that was in charge of the volumetric clouds uh, we talked about in the first episode. And talking about clouds and sky, we have some cool changes uh, and improvements about piloting. Uh, future Alpha 2 changes uh, imply important improvements to the ships and hovercraft's behavior. Good news is that uh, trees shouldn't be as uh, ominous as before, JC. Uh, yeah, uh, the, the, the changes on the, the piloting are quite deep, in fact. There's a lot of changes on the, the way the different engines are going to behave. There's a change also on the, uh, the, 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 the maximal force of those engines. And, uh, we have revamped quite deeply the, the Lua code that is generated uh, to take uh, these changes into account. So it should ultimately get you to a better maneuverability of ships, more realistic behavior. Uh, so, But this... Also, we'll have to be tested and we'll probably have to do maybe one or two uh, iterations on that to get it perfect. Yep. Um, another uh, cool improvement, and uh, in fact, it's a new thing, the avatar movement in space. Uh, being outside of your ship in space is often a tricky situation, to put it mildly. Uh, well, these days will soon be over. Uh, Drifter. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, one thing that was previously pretty much impossible, you could basically play around with it in some edge cases, but uh, it's simply moving your avatar individually in, in outer space. So uh, we've now enabled uh, three different behaviors that were previously either very difficult or even impossible. Uh, the first one is simply moving around your ship. So you can, I don't know, repair your hull if it's been damaged or just build around your ship. Uh, you could previously do that in build mode around uh, a steel ship, but it wouldn't work very well uh, in uh, moving situations especially. Second situation we are going to fix is recovering or approaching your ship if you've lost it somehow. I mean, if your ship is at a distance in space, uh, previously you just couldn't get to it uh, because you need to be in build mode to enable your jetpack around your ship. So you are pretty much screwed. Um, and the last but not least situation we're going to enable is simply boarding or transitioning from one construct to another in space. So basically you could now get away from a ship and into another ship, potentially on it or inside it, 
So that's a very cool behavior we couldn't do before. The way this works is through acceleration, just like ship movement itself. So you can accelerate, accelerate sorry, in those six directions. You can also brake and roll. And the, the very cool thing about that is that it also happens within the construct's reference frame. So basically, if you're braking or accelerating close to a construct, you're going to do that relative to the construct's current speed. So that allows you to actually build or move around a construct that's just speeding through space at, uh, say, 10,000 kilometers per hour. So that's pretty cool. Note that this only works uh, outside the planet's gravitational influence. Um, it basically, it works within the gravitational influence, but but it's going to uh, it's going to be compensated by gravity. Your acceleration in space is inferior to gravity. So yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay, cool. Um, maybe you've heard sirens in the background, so that's the yeah, know, that's live yeah. recording in it, Paris. Exactly, yeah. live <laughs> yeah, fi recording. Firework, yeah. fire, fireman. Uh, so one, one thing, something. Yeah, one thing just to add to the movement in space. Uh, something that's really cool that we didn't really have before is that now when you're in space, you actually feel like you're in space. Before, mm. you, as uh, as Drifter said, you were sort of just immobile and didn't really feel like anything. It felt mm. more like water than anything. Um, now you can actually move around, you have inertia, you, you accelerate, and if you let go of the keyboard, you keep, you keep flying off into space. And uh, that's something that's pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. You, you do get this feeling of weightlessness, uh, of zero gravity. Uh, that's exactly due to that acceleration thing. You just, I mean, you have that huge inertia because you don't have energy loss in space. So you take a long time to stop, even if you're braking. It's, it's just, it feels really great. Yeah, I'm going to do a bit of teasing here, you know, but uh, you mentioned boarding and, uh, you know, boy, there's going to be something with the, oh with the PVP <laughs> we want to do so that you can, of course, board the ship. Mm -hmm. So... To do that, you need proper capabilities to move around in space. So this is fixed now, and I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, right. Um, moving on to uh, another uh, nice addition um, about customization. Uh, it, it's the tweakable Lua variables. Uh, we have accessibility at heart, and we will release soon some improvements on the Lua customization part to ever increase player empowerment. Uh, Drifter, JC, maybe a word about that? Yeah, so uh, I'll just introduce and I'll let JC go in depth because he's mm. way more knowledgeable on Lua. Uh, but basically, we're allowing people to tag their variables in the Lua code so that they can be accessible in a very simple interface where you can just tweak the variables without coding or anything. So when you first get inside a cockpit, for example, and it runs your uh, auto-configuring so that you get this, this default behavior. Uh, you're going to get some variables in that UI, for example, rotation speed for your ship or torque factor. And this is going to help you just decide on how you want your ship to behave without having to look at code. So it basically makes the in-depth behavior and functioning of your ship way more accessible. Yeah, exactly. And that's, uh, that's a huge step forward. So making Lua available for everyone. And here, like in many things, you know, the, the idea is that um, we don't expect everyone to do Lua. Actually, we expect a very small part of the players to do Lua. Uh, but it's going to benefit to everybody. And it's, think of it like, you know, modding in a game. Uh, modders are a small part of a game community, but they produce incredible value in terms of content for all the others. So the, the way Lua is working is that it's basically modding as part of the game, inside the game directly. Uh, but by adding this possibility to export variables, you make it possible for people who have no idea of what is Lua. Actually, they don't even know that it exists, and they are able to tweak the behavior of the, the Lua code that has been developed by, let's say, 
well, let's call him uh, a mother, right? Uh, so, and the way to do this for people who are interested is extremely simple. You just uh, wherever you have your variable like x, you know, in your in your code, let's say you say x equal five, and you just add at the end of this line uh, a comment. Uh, so in Lua, it's a dash dash, uh, and then export. So that's that's it, and uh, then the system will recognize that there's a variable called a, and it has to be exported so that you can actually edit it in a nice uh, UI, a simple window where you can type the value, and it's gonna change the value of a. So that's that's pretty cool. Yep, entropy. Yeah, well, one of the cool things that can actually happen in game, and this is something that we we generally want to bring forward to everything, is that you know as JC said, you're gonna have this small percentage of players that will code in Lua. And you can actually sell that as a as a you know thing that you do, uh, in game. Totally, you know, using the barter system or you know using anything else that you want to trade with. Um, you can have these players that will go to other players and say, "Hey, I can add this variable and this variable to your uh, parameter parameterable uh, Lua things." And you know, you can sell that as a service. And we think that's uh, that's pretty cool. Yep, uh, a big part of the emergent gameplay, uh, indeed. Um, moving on to another uh, big topic, we already uh, covered. Uh, previously, but we have many things to say again is the skill tree update. <clears throat> so entropy and, and JC on this one. It's a big topic uh, covered extensive, extensively sorry, in the first episode of this show. I encourage you to check it out if you didn't already. Uh, following up players' feedback, uh, we are considering different evolutions for the future. So uh, entropy, you're working uh, on this and JC, you have uh, tons of stuff to say about that. Yeah, so um, we've, been, we've been looking at your feedback and you know we've been sort of absorbing everything that you guys have been saying. Um, one of the things that we've already done and that we, we really agreed with was the tool unlocks. Um, you guys were sort of unanimous in, uh, in uh, telling us that they were a little bit too expensive and they were hard to acquire and you know, it was sort of slowing down uh, the pace of the game a little bit too much uh, in the early stages and we totally agree. Um, so one of the things that we've already done is we've dr pretty drastically reduced the cost of uh, tool-related unlocks um, on, uh, on the live server. Um, and uh, and we hope that that sort of alleviates some of the immediate concerns, um, and you know we're happy to take a look at that going forward and, and make sure that we're in the right spot for that. Um, the, the the second big thing that you guys have been talking about is sort of element related unlocks, and this is also something that we've taken a look at that we're taking a look at. Sorry, um, we we haven't yet made any adjustments to that, and we're still sort of in the thinking phase. Nothing is set in stone, and you know we want to make sure that we we take the right decisions uh, going forward. Um, there's two little context pieces that you guys uh, could be could be interesting for you guys. Um, the first thing is that uh, when we introduced the first set of talents in Alpha One, um, it was sort of the talents that were ready at the time. Um, you know, we wanted to get them out the door because we wanted to test the system and we wanted to you know get your first feedback. But it wasn't really a, a complete version, uh, even as a first version. What we're doing in Alpha Two now is we will actually complete that first pass of talents, and so we re we will be releasing new talents for Alpha Two uh, that will sort of complete uh, this first pass of talents, and uh, and give you guys a whole lot more stuff. And I'll, I'll go a little bit more in, into detail after that. Um, once we have that global view of the talents, we'll be in a better position to be able to make these sorts of decisions on element unlocks and that sort of thing. Um, the second little piece of information is one thing that we're missing in the game right now and that we, you know, we want to do and that we will do in the future um, is element variations, uh, which means that today you have uh, you know, an, an atmospheric engine excess, but there's only one atmospheric engine excess. What we want to do is we want to have an atmospheric engine excess that has you know, a better fuel consumption or that has better resistance or that has better thrust and all sorts of different parameters that we can mix and tweaks. 
Um, once those variations start coming into the game, we will anyway have to fundamentally redo how we do unlocks into the game. Um, right now, essentially, we're a little bit bare bones on the amount of elements that we have in the game. And ultimately, we want to have way, way, way more than we have right now, especially for all the functional items like, you know, uh, ailerons and engines and adjusters and all that stuff. So once those variations start to coming into the game, we will be redoing pretty drastically how you unlock elements um, in the game. Um, finally, maybe uh, more interestingly, uh, let's talk about the actual talents coming into Alpha 2. Um, it's actually a pretty big chunk, I think a little bit more than, um, in terms of actual numbers, a little bit more than what we currently have in the game. And uh, the big focus is going to be uh, two main things. The first is going to be piloting. Um, so you will start getting piloting uh, talents to the game, um, and they'll come in two functions. Um, the first will simply be uh, a, pilot, a direct piloting bonus. So when you sit in a ship and you pilot a ship, uh, you will get better thrust, you'll get better rotation, you know, better brakes, all that stuff. Uh, very, very easy. The second way that we're introducing new talents is actually through uh, what we're calling an install mechanic, uh, which is the idea that when you put a, an element on your ship, um, it can be better than in other situations. Um, so the, the basic idea behind this is to sort of promote a mechanic role uh, in the game and sort of have these guys that run around and they like buff your ships and again you can uh, trade for them and you can you know pay them for their services and they'll oh I can make your your engine a little bit better or I can make your adjusters a little bit better um, and and that's pretty cool. Secondly, the, the big second part is everything related to the inventory. So we have a couple of talents today, which are uh, container unlocks and a primary container range, and I think that's just about it. Um, and we're going to be expanding the inventory and container-based talents into you know bigger inventory sizes, bigger container sizes, uh, better bonuses, and, and that sort of stuff. So yeah, I think that's, uh, that's about it for talents. Yeah, lots of stuff. JC? Well, I think you covered it all. Uh, wow, that's good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> nice. But yeah, the dance system is a, is a very complex system. It's at the heart of everything in the game. So obviously, we need iterations, and uh, we need your feedback, and we listen to your feedback so, so that we can make it better. So this is a huge ongoing effort and uh, important structural part of the game. Yeah, right. Entropy? Yeah, just just for, for context, I mean, one of the avenues that we are ex exploring right now, which wasn't something that we had initially thought about, is to think of unlocks as just very low-level uh, barriers. So not to have them as proper full-level skills uh, or talents, but to just make them a little bit of a barrier that you can get through very easily if you want, but just to sort of require that action to have a little bit of pacing and have a little bit of that, uh, you know, uh, uh, player uh, agency there, yeah. Yeah, right, agency. Yeah, that's the word. It's very important. Um, now, moving on to a, a big, big topic, um, the industry. Uh, this is a, a big feature that will transform and enhance the crafting part of the game. Uh, what's the vision here? Uh, what are the, the, the new stuff, the modifications? Uh, yeah. And I think the key uh, idea to, to see here is that it's another example of specialization that we want to introduce in the game, so that you know, players can get specialized into things and they can become valuable because of that as part of a team. Right now you can craft anything you want with your nanoformer. That's, uh, that's very convenient as, as a first iteration. And so we're going to introduce industry as a way to focus the more complicated production through dedicated elements that you will have to deploy to basically build a factory. So you might think, oh, well, then I'm going to have less possibilities because of these features. So I'm not so excited. Uh, in fact, it's not exactly uh, true because the key point of the industry is that you will be able 
to parallelize. So instead of building stuff, you know, one after the other in one single queue, you'll be able to build huge factories that are basically you're going to be able to enter into the era of mass produ production. Right? Mass production is fundamental because what we want, and again, it's linked to this idea of specialization, is that most players will not craft. Most players will just go on the market and buy stuff. Like most players will not uh, actually build ships from scratch. They will just buy a ship, probably customize it, but you're going to buy a ship that is designed by uh, one of those organizations that are very talented at building ships. And so this is the same logic here. Um, if you want to be able to go on the market and buy stuff, you need people to be able to produce them and for them to um, make a profit out of it and for it to make sense, they need to be able to mass produce things. So they need the industrial level of, of uh, the crafting uh, feature, basically. And that's what the industry uh, feature is introducing. Well, I'll let you explain the, yeah, how it right. works. Yeah, so in terms of the actual detail of how um, industry works, so uh, industry will work in the following way. You will have what we're calling industry elements, uh, which are actual elements that you will deploy on static constructs. As of right now, we've, we've sort of decided that um, we want to have uh, industry only on static constructs, as we don't think it makes too much sense to have um, industries on ships, it's a little bit confusing, and uh, it's also as part of making static constructs a little bit more valuable and, and you know, bring, uh, bring more value to bases and actually having sort of like a home base um, where you can, you know, store all your stuff and store your ships and store your friends and also have your industry. And stuff to protect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you will have these industry elements, and these industry elements will be specialized. So uh, one element will not be able to craft all the items in the game. You will have, for example, an engine-specific industry element, and that industry element will be able to craft engines. Pretty simple. Um, the way it works is that you will use containers as outputs and inputs to actual industry elements. So an industry will look in its input containers for the ingredients that it needs to run uh, a certain element. So, for example, if you're crafting engines and you need, you know, a couple parts and, you know, some materials, it will look in the input container for those parts and for that material before it can start crafting. Once it has the materials, so you, you filled your container and you have the, the proper materials for the recipe, recipe that you've selected, um, the crafting process will start and the, the, the factory will start running. And then when it's done, it will spit out the, uh, the finished element in an output container. And that, uh, that element will now be available to you in the output container that you can take. Um, one of the very important things about, uh, about how this all works is that one container can be an industry's output, but another, but another is industry input. So the idea here is to actually create chains of industries and containers to you know, maybe go from the lowest material, which is ore, to potentially building an entire item. And it's sort of up to you how you want to create those. If you want to be, you know, a, a, someone who specializes in parts and just sells tons of parts, someone who's just a refiner and, and sells a refined ore on the market, or someone who does the whole chain and goes from um, ore to uh, an element. And that's, that's totally up to you. One, uh, one big final thing, which is pretty important, is that they run offline. And that's, uh, that's something that's uh, quite important. And as JC said, it's what's important to be able to mass produce things so you're not just always, you know, we don't want you to just AFK it next to your industry uh, to keep it running or anything. That would be a little bit silly. So we're having them run offline so that you can, you know, stuff up your containers, you know, put a ton of ore or whatever it is that you're building and then just sort of go offline and your industry will just perma run as long as it, as long as it can. Yeah, and, and a small addition also is that uh, those industrial units will be accessible through Lua. 
So it would be possible for you guys to uh, program complex, uh, you know, uh, industrial productions, uh, reroute things uh, based on Lua programming at that stage. Uh, it's totally possible that we make it also available through non-Lua uh, interfaces in a, in the second stage. Uh, you also be able to plug a screen unit to display things, you know, based on what's going on in your in your in your factory. So that that's that's pretty cool. Uh, again, I mean, it's not at all necessary to use Lua, but it's going to be a, a little plus. Yeah, a nice addition, Drifter. Uh, yeah. So uh, as JC has mentioned, uh, industry is that uh, systemic feature that basically kickstarts mass production and it, it's fundamental to the economy of the game. But uh, there is also just that that feeling component because it's there is something very satisfying about just automating stuff and being productive in a way. I don't know if you you guys are familiar with Factorio, for example. These are games that are just fun to play uh, in itself. And uh, also industry, of course, those large-scale industrialists will be a select few, but uh, just building a small industry facility that, for example, just crafts fuel for you, for your personal use, uh, is pretty easy, actually. You need one industry unit that's pretty simple to craft, and uh, you need a couple raw ore, and uh, you're going to be able to build your, your personal factories and get the satisfaction yourself as well. Yeah, a question we, we could ask is how do we compare in a certain way to Factorio, like you said, Drifter, or games like Satisfactory, for example? What, is, what are the similarities and the, the differences, maybe? Well, the, the main mechanic is the same, uh, of course. Uh, we, we, we don't have that level of polish and focus on that. It's a first sure. version, of course. Obviously, it's a first version, so it's going to get polished for the months and years to come. Uh, but at the same time, obviously, Satisfactory and Factorio, these are industry-focused games. I mean, they have a, a whole studio just just doing that. And uh, it's one of Jules' features, so obviously we won't get to have their level of polish, but still, I think it's going to be a pretty fun feature. Yeah, and also uh, keep in mind that, uh, as far as I know, those games are not single shard, uh, you know, highly scalable uh, setup. So a lot of things that uh, you might find cool to do uh, don't necessarily scale. If you could potentially have, you know, uh, thousands of people building stuff all around, I mean, you have to think about that aspect too. Yeah, that's exactly true. Entropy. Yeah, one, one of the cool things is how our industry sort of plugs it into the greater world. Because, you know, we've sort of mentioned that you're going to be selling these items and stuff like that. Um, but if you become, you know, it, or not you necessarily, but if, if there's a planet with, you know, a very large industrial complex and there's multiple players building these huge complex, that can change the, you know, the nature of the world. All of a sudden, having a massive industry complex there that's supplying, you know, a very specific element or a very specific type of item, whatever it may be, um, that becomes something that's that can be very important in the world and that's something that everyone talks about and that that organization or that person can become known for. So the way that industry can sort of interact with the game world and with the single shard, um, we think that's something that's got a lot of possibilities. Yeah, uh, a piece of the huge picture. Uh, anything to add, guys? Otherwise, time to wrap up this part of the show. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. What a pleasure. Yep. Always. Now it's time to have a chat with Stéphane Dastou about our Montreal studio status. This interview was recorded from a conference call, so please excuse the lower audio quality. Hello Stéphane. Hey Jean-Baptiste. How is it going at Montreal? Uh, I've heard you guys were very busy, so what's up? Well, listen, we've uh, we've just passed the uh, four-month um, 
uh, cap. We uh, I don't know if you remember, but uh, the 5th of February of this year, we announced uh, the opening of the studio. So we're on the 3rd of June right now. So that's four months. And I think uh, things are going very well. Uh, right now, we have 21 uh, employees that have signed or started, uh, wow. which is a that that is a very good news considering that you know it's a we're near summer and people are are you know not uh, necessarily focused to change jobs but i think we've done a, a good job to introduce to the uh, dev community here in montreal uh, all about uh, dual universe and all the different uh, different opportunities that uh, we are offering uh, to the dev guys and girls Yeah, th this is great because the last time I've, I've heard uh, news about the hirings, it was 16 to 17 people. Now you're telling me 21. Uh, it's it's uh, going very fast. And uh, yeah, time flies since uh, February. It's, it's really awesome. Um, we hired uh, um, some different uh, you know talents in uh, different areas of expertise. Could you tell us a little bit more yes. about that? Yes, well, the uh, the art team is almost complete. Uh, uh, we have all the uh, all the people that we need for now, because uh, let's remember that the forty uh, five target of headcount was from here to the end of the of this calendar year. So we don't need to be forty five right now. But if we, I'm following my ramp up. And uh, as for the art team, we're exactly on uh, on on target, on track. So Eric Bellefeuille is heading uh, this team. He has been able to um, to to interest and, and attract a great talent. So we we have truly a very a strong art team. Uh, the design team is also complete. We have recruited three excellent game designers. Um, and I think one profile is coming up soon because I think all key uh, hiring, we do a LinkedIn uh, posting to show to the uh, our community Uh, who is starting to form the uh, the core team here in Montreal. His name is René Martin-Posé. Uh, he has like 22 years of experience. Uh, I think he was employee number seven in Ubisoft Montreal back in 1997. Uh, he has a great, great portfolio, and I'm sure that people will be uh, quite impressed about his track record. Um, In the marketing team, uh, Sébastien is is uh, right now uh, an army of two. <laughs> we have Eugene uh, on board, yes, and we're looking for possible openings later on this year. But that is also on track. Uh, in the, on the administrative side, we're 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 complete, so that that is great. So this leaves us to obviously programming. And I guess in any studio, in any city where there's uh, game development, uh, the programming uh, guys and girls are uh, super solicited yes. and uh, they're quite rare. And But uh, I have great news. This weekend we were able to sign a, a great gameplay uh, programmer with um, tons of experience, 15 years of experience in large studios and smaller studios. Um, but the common thread with everybody that we're really hiring is that 
they are true believers of the universe. They know what we're trying to do is to do a great game that will disrupt certainly um, the establishment of certain uh, practices. And uh, but we're working hard to hiring obviously other programmers. We're looking up to maybe ten more. But right now, this is our focus. And Anne, who is our uh, HR director, and myself and everybody here are putting our full focus on, on attracting uh, programmers. And normally when we put focus on something, we get results. So I'm, I'm hoping to, uh, to be able to tell you in a couple of uh, the following weeks that we have hired other great talent in programming. This is excellent news. I'm sure we will find the right talents because the project is very attractive. Um, we we saw briefly some uh, very early work from the art team and we can't, can't wait to, to share that with the community. It will happen a little bit later, so a little bit more patience will be necessary, but it is going to be very, very cool in the near future. Uh, do we have some news from maybe, an, I don't know, new offices somewhere in Montreal? Do you want to talk about that or, or not? Yes, absolutely. We cool. uh, we just signed our lease maybe uh, two weeks ago. It's a, it's a quite a long process, as you may know. Uh, a lot of people have to look into it. A lot of people need to validate it. And uh, we've signed it, and uh, we're we're right now at this moment, right after our talk, uh, Jean-Baptiste, I'm going to the um, to the existing uh, offices that are uh, right now not fully suited for us. We want to have a more open space area, so we will will do some demolition, and I'm, I I want to be uh, there when that happens, at least when the 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 start of that activity. So uh, it's in the heart of downtown Montreal. We're uh, less than 100 meters from a metro uh, exit. We're maybe at 150 meters from the train, uh, because as you know, Montreal is an island, and there's people living uh, on the North Shore and the South Shore that requires um, uh, uh, mass transit. And uh, that was really important for us because, as you know, the the dev uh, uh, community is getting a little bit older. You know, they're getting a little bit more mature, having families. They need to uh, maybe live out of the actual city core. So you need to be sensitive to that. And if you want to attract senior people, that means that you need to take care of uh, the the transportation because you don't want to have people to, to transit, you know, more than an hour uh, one way. So uh, it's a great office. It's uh, truly in this, uh, almost at the ground zero in Montreal. And it's it should be ready to be moved in in the uh, month of August. And uh, I think Eugene and Sebastian will be taking care of uh, some some making of footage. Uh, to just to show the uh, the uh, the progress of the uh, of the space and it's going to be a cool space okay this is great news very very happy and eager to to see that uh, thank you very much stefan for your time and my pleasure uh, see you next time poke me anytime jean baptiste you know you have access to me thank you <laughs> okay take care it was very nice talking to stefan And now is the time to answer uh, to a bunch of questions from the community. Uh, Gamebiter via YouTube asks us, maybe take a community question or two each podcast. Well, indeed, that's a good idea, and that's exactly what we're doing right now. Ivan Ivanov via YouTube asked, all right, the podcast was good, but how about restart the monthly dev blogs? They are what made me invest in this game. Well, thanks for your support, and as I said in the intro of the show, 
the video dev diaries are coming back, not on a monthly basis, but they are coming back soon. Sunk asked us via SoundCloud, any plans on implementing some sort of cryptocurrencies in the game? That's a huge topic, uh, one that Jesse could talk about during hours, and that's way too soon to talk about that right now at this stage of the development. We have many other aspects to focus on first, so that's a no. And now, how about finishing with a question uh, lots of you are asking, guys. The elephant in the room, when is the Alpha 2 going to be released? The answer is July 11th. So the promised window for this release of the first half of 2019 won't be far missed. We try to refine things as much as possible and more news are coming soon, so stay tuned. Thank you so much for listening. We'd like to have your feedback now regarding this new episode. Depending on the platform you're listening to us, you can use the rating system at your disposal. Rate us 5 stars if you liked it. Give us a thumbs up or down, leave a comment, anything to help us improving this show. You can reach out to us via Discord, it's discord.gg slash dualuniverse, our forums and of course on social media too. To be sure to not miss anything DU related, we encourage you to like us on Facebook, to follow us on Twitter and to subscribe to our YouTube channel and newsletter. The links should be in the description of the show, once again, depending on the platform you're using to listen to us right now. If you didn't back to World Universe yet and you consider to do so now, that's awesome. We rely exclusively on crowdfunding and private money, and your support is crucial to ship our dream project. You can learn more at dualuniverse.com pledge. Thanks again, take care, and we'll see you next time.